Let's do it. Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alvazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive question you might have. You just go ahead and give us a call, and we'll put you right at the top of the list, get your questions answered, get some advice to you. All right, that's right. Right now is the perfect time to call, too. There you go. Maybe we- try to help you from... Prevent you from making a mistake. There you go. Spend a little time with you and get your questions answered real thoroughly. That's right. And a lot of times, all you need is just a tiny amount of advice from someone who's kind of been there before. Exactly. To really prevent making a big, big, big problem. And today, with cars particularly, I guess with everything in general, mistakes are extremely expensive. They are. It's not like if you change this component, it's going to cost $3. Car components are in the three hundred dollar range for oh, yeah. the most part nowadays. That's the cheap stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So it can get very, 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 very expensive, and mistakes get very, very expensive. Not only that, but each mistake tends to build on the next. Sure. Had a gentleman come in earlier this week, and he had a little Honda. Says air conditioning didn't work, and I started talking to him just a little bit. It had gone out about a year ago, and the first thing he did, he went to some knucklehead and threw a rebuilt compressor on it. Well. Right. That lasted about, oh, two months. Okay. So then they go back and they put another rebuild compressor on it. It lasts about a month. So he's on his third one now. And the issue is this. Compressors don't just fail. A compressor never just fails. There's a reason why it failed. So they have never done a root cause analysis to find out why it keeps going out. Right. They just keep throwing parts at the Well, but worse is each time this compressor goes out, it slings metal throughout the entire system. So now the system is so contaminated that there's no fixing it. Well, it's using the, the compressor as a filter now. Well, I mean. Each, each new compressor, <laughs> it, it fills it full of metal. And when right. it comes apart, it refills the system right. full of metal it, again. It just gets worse and worse and worse to right. the point now that every component on that system is so contaminated with metal that there really is no more fixing it. Well, the, and the I told only- him, I said, well, you're going to have to live without air conditioning or you're just going to have to go trade the car because you're not going to fix this. Right. It's just gone too far. And point is, it had to be fixed right the first time. So not only has he wasted, I don't know, a couple thousand bucks on junk he didn't need, he's made the problem way, way, way worse to the point. That it's not fixable anymore. Well, that's right. Well, I can't say it's not fixable. I mean, you want to put every component right. You want to put a condenser, an evaporator, all the hoses, all the valves, all you know, another compressor. You're going to spend three grand, you can fix it. Right. You know, $1,500 car. <laughs> so, yeah, you can just get to a point where you just get worse and worse and worse and worse. And I think the initial problem or the problem was the condenser fan. I looked down, the condenser fan's not turning, so the head pressure's going sky high. That's why it wasn't cooling. Exactly. That's what's blowing the compressor up, the first one up. Of course, the second one out because the first one went out, and the third one out because the second one That's <laughs> it. That's it. So, on and on and on it goes. It's just very, 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 very expensive to make mistakes sure it these is. days. It's one of those well, things where you just can't hardly afford it. Cars are so complicated. It's not the easy, like you were talking about the air conditioners right. just now. The air conditioners back in the, the early 70s right. and 80s and, right. and 90s, they used a different refrigerant. Well, and the refrigerant didn't require such a passage well, to you operate had properly. A rotary six-cylinder compressor made out of steel and cast iron. On the condenser, you had tubes that were about a quarter inch in diameter, and exactly. it held five pounds of refrigerant. Exactly. So, number one, five pounds of refrigerant is awful hard to contaminate because so much of it in there. The condenser tubes were big enough where anything could just blow right, right on through it. Go right through. Now, you got one and a half pounds if it's a big system, maybe 12 ounces if it's a small system. You got a condenser with holes that are so small you can't really see through them. Exactly. And you got an aluminum variable displacement compressor on there. And a little bit of trash gets in that condenser, oh, yeah. and oh, it's, it's, it's done it, for. It's got to be sterile. I mean, exactly. it's got to be beyond clean. 
And it's just that's just one example of the way we get in trouble. But if you get just a little bit of advice up front before you jump in, you can prevent a lot of these problems. A lot of good advice. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, good advice. <laughs> Isn't that true? Hey, let's go to the phone lines with Curtis. Good morning, Curtis. How you doing? I'm good doing morning. great, sir. I want to talk to you about my brand-new 1996 Mazda truck. Okay. <laughs> I crank it up in the morning, uh-huh. and why it's cold, okay. it kind of misses down the road. Uh-huh. And once it warms up, it fairly well goes away. Okay. Under a load, I mean, it doesn't miss. Right. All that, Curtis, is probably the same issue almost all of the time. When you've got a misfire when cold that goes away when hot, you're looking at some sort of a vacuum leak. On that particular engine, it's probably going to be the intake manifold leaking. The reason it is bad when it is cold is because when the engine is cold, the oxygen sensors have not heated up and they're not running the engine. It's running on default readings. Right. It's reading the amount of air coming in through the airflow meter. It's looking at the outside temperature and it's setting a mixture based on that. Now, if you create a vacuum leak, you got more air than it knows about, so it's going to lean the engine out and it's going to start missing. Now, as soon as the oxygen sensors heat up and come online, they're going to tell the computer, hey, we're too lean here. So it's just going to add additional fuel. It's going to increase the pulse width on the injector and cover the problem up. Problem's still there. It's just being covered up. And that's even on a 96, they were pretty smart about that kind of stuff. So almost always, I can't guarantee a 1,000% that's it, but that's sure what I'd be looking for. And the way that we find that, we've got a machine that uses nitrogen gas and some chemical and produces smoke. You attach it to the intake, and you fill the engine with smoke. You see where the smoke's coming out. That's where you know where the vacuum leaks are. Because right. some of those can be very, very difficult to find. Now, sometimes, like I pull up at the gas st- mm-hmm. station, put gas in it, mm-hmm. and it hadn't been missing. Mm-hmm. After I put the gas in it, then I start driving again, and it starts missing again. Mm. Even when it's hotter, it's cold. After it's been been run for a while. Yeah, mm. that could be a separate issue. That sounds almost like, it, it, does it only do it when you fill it up with gas? Well, no. I mean, this can be any time. Yeah. Know, I can stop it for maybe five, ten minutes. Yeah. And it does that. Yeah. You see, generally, when you fill a tank up with gas like that, you're interfering with the EVAP system, which is also vacuum-operated. So it could all tie in. I would really just have to see the car. That's, that's kind of a complex thing to try to diagnose over the phone. Right. I would bet you it's all involving somewhere. And, and so your vacuum leak may be in your EVAP system. Okay. So it's just one of those things you got to get somebody who can find that leak for you if that's the problem or at least look at the – what I would do is go in first off, see if there are any codes. If it's got a PO-171 or a PO-174 and the engine's running too lean, you know for sure we're looking for some kind of a vacuum-type problem. The second thing to do is go in and smoke test the engine, see if you can find where the leaks are at. Also, you can look in Mode 6 data and see what the fuel trim looks like, how much additional fuel is it adding to the engine. Right. So all those things will give you some guidance to where you're going with the thing. Well, let me ask you one quick question sure. and I'll let you go. Why does this four-cylinder have eight spark plugs? <laughs> because that's the way it is. <laughs> that's the way it was built. I've never yeah. seen it before. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, that's a little forward engine. And actually, see, it's firing on the exhaust stroke, and what it's doing is it's supposed to clean up any residual oxygen that's in the air-fuel mixture when it goes out to keep from going to the catalytic converter. It just causes it to burn in. Any combustible material that's left in on the exhaust stroke, it fires it one more time. Okay. All righty. I appreciate it. Okay, sir. Thanks, sir. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Our number is 291-6901. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we would love to have you. And we have got Doug's online. Good morning, Doug. Uh, good morning. Yes, uh, welcome to this uh, beautiful South Louisiana Boy, isn't morning. Isn't it great? 
Let me ask you something. Sure. I have got, I've seen something yesterday I've never seen before okay. on the 2000 Ford Avea. Yes, sir. On the cooling system, the thermostat housing. Uh-huh. It just melted to pieces. Okay. Right there in that elbow uh, going into the the head. Okay. And I, what do you call it? It's got like a gel like built up in front of the thermostat where the thermostat can't open. What causes that? It's a plastic housing there. Yeah, Doug, that's got to be some type of contaminant getting into your coolant or something getting on it from the outside. Are there any oil leaks in that area? Well, yes, there is. See, normally oil gets on plastic, it'll start doing that. Uh, All that plastic is designed to deal with heat, and it's designed to deal with coolant and all that, but oil will basically break it down and dissolve it. So almost always that's going to be oil getting on the part, and the combination of the heat and the oil will do that. So to follow up on that, Lewis, uh, actually the, the head gasket, it, uh, not the head gasket, but the valve cover, uh, valve cover gasket uh-huh. uh, it broke, was cut right there where the housing is. Well, gets. there you go. Yeah. yeah, you got some kind of an oil leak. And what I would suspect, Doug, I would check closely what they call the PCV system, right. which is a PCV valve. That is what pulls the pressure out of the engine. If that valve becomes restricted or sticks for some reason, it'll start building up pressure in the engine. It'll blow that valve cover gasket out, and then all gets on things and starts eating another stuff up. So it's probably one thing begets the next thing begets the next thing. So you need to go in and do a little detective work. Be sure you find the root cause of the problem and then fix the valve cover gasket and then change that thermostat, and you probably cure all your problems. I knew you would cure it for me. There you Thank go. You. <laughs> okay, Doug. It. Thank you, man. Have a good day. Bye-bye. I hate if you want to be part of the automotive hour, we sure love to have you. And we got Lee online. Good morning, Lee. Good morning. Yes, I ma'am. have two sets of questions. We'll sure. go with the easy one first. Okay, go ahead. I have an 06 Camry uh-huh. that I was needing to get tires for, mm-hmm. and I know you're going to fuss at me for this. Okay. I had another vehicle that had broken down that had okay. almost brand new tires that had uh-huh. been sitting around for a while. Uh-huh. I had them switched. They were the same size okay. tires. Had them switched over to my Camry. Okay. And they were supposed to rotate and balance them when they right. mounted them on mm-hmm. the wheel. Yes, ma'am. I get this, and it gets a shimmy in my steering yeah. wheel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is that because the tire set too long in one place, or do uh, I need an alignment? Well, it's not an alignment. It's either going to be a bad tire or a tire that was damaged when it was mounted or some other damage that occurred when they mounted the tire. I've got an article on my website entitled, Can a Caveman Mount a Tire? <laughs> or something to that effect. And it will go in and tell you some of the things that can go wrong during the mounting and balancing process. The average person who doesn't deal with that on a daily basis, they see it as one thing and anybody ought to be able to do it. But in fact, it's a series of things and it's fairly complex to do right. They have to be done in the correct order at the correct time. So. Exactly. And if they did not mount the tire right, if they tore the bead on the tire mounting it, if it didn't lubricate the rim and tire so that the rim and tire didn't seat properly, if they didn't balance the wheel, that sounds like a tire kind of an issue, though. And if the tire had wear from the previous car on the uh-huh. rear and then it got moved to the front, right? Maybe. you could be hearing that also. That's correct. Because the, the Camrys were bad about the toe getting out in the back and they chopped the tires on the inside yeah, and, and they'd make noise. Yeah, alignment and if the old well, car these, was wearing the tire. Not on a, these were not on a Camry okay. to begin with. They okay. were on an Acura to begin yeah. with. Yeah, same thing. Same, yeah, it's still, same basic there's still thing. a four-wheel alignment involved. Yeah, if they had some wear on the rear tires and now those tires got placed on the front, they would have more gotcha. weight on them because of the weight of the engine and they're going to get a lot more noisy, whereas you might have not heard them so much on the back. And number one, it would have been behind you. Plus, number two, it wouldn't have near as much weight on it. There's really an easy way to to see if it's a tire or not. Just have the tires rotated from the front to the rear. Mm -hmm. If the shimmy goes away and the noise goes to the rear, you know it changes. You 
you know you're into a tire. Yeah, if it changes, in other words, it may or may not go away. It could actually get worse because you may have a bad back one also. But if rotating a tire significantly changes the symptom, then you know you're into the tires. Gotcha. Right. And then gotcha. You might want to check the dates on them. Yeah, check the date. You know how to check the, the age of a tire? No. Okay, well, if you look at the number, it's going to start with D-O-T in capital letters. It's going to be about eight or ten letters there. It's going, to be, it's going to be right on the sidewall, right around the edge of the rim. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of information there, so it's going to be big capital letters that says D-O-T. And then the last four digits will be the week and the year the tire was made. Now, should you happen to find that number and not find the numbers on the end, on the end then it's mounted on the inside. Right. You'd actually have to crawl underneath the vehicle. Because sometimes they'll mount a tire one way, and it's only on one side. The DOT number's on both sides, Correct. but the date is only on one side. Right. Gotcha. Okay. Mm-hmm. My second question concerns a 1996 Volvo wagon. I okay. believe it's a 960. Mm-hmm. We recently bought used for my daughter. Mm-hmm. It was running great, and then all of a sudden it would just, we'll run it a while, and it'll just die on us. And mm. we figured, okay, maybe it was a fuel pump, that's one thing. So we went and replaced the two relays for the fuel pump. Mm-hmm. That particular car has two relays. Right. Okay. We replaced those. It worked okay for just a little while, then it started doing the same thing again. So do I have a fuel pump problem? Well, that's one possibility, but it's one out of about 200. So oh. you will absolutely run out of money way before you run out of guesses of things that could be. Now, how often does this happen? It's just sporadic. Yeah, how okay. much? Once a week, once a day, once a month? Uh, well, we can drive it once or twice, and then all of a sudden it'll happen. It'll uh-huh. break down, and then maybe you can get the car started again. Maybe you can't. Right. Fuel pump is one possibility, but it's one expensive possibility. Yeah. There's lots of others, crank sensors, cam sensors, a bad connection, a bad ignition call, on and on and on and on and on. will all do exactly the same thing. Unfortunately, the only way to find that is either wait till it gets a little more consistent or bring it to someone, just leave it with them until they can recreate the problem. You're going to have to be willing you, to leave it That's right. for if several days. If the shop days. drives it and it runs just perfectly, they can test it till the cows come home. All they can do is waste your money because not, they're not going to find that. It's going to have to occur in the shop. Gotcha. So you could wait until it gets a little more consistent, which it probably will. If it gets where it's doing it every day, then you can find it pretty easy. Or... If you can bring it to someone, just leave it with them and let them just drive it until it occurs, and then they should be able to find it. But, I mean, I would not go change the fuel pump because that is one possibility, but it's only one, and that fuel pump is probably four or 500 bucks. Yeah, and you don't know what you're getting That's right. to put it back in. That's right. So that may not be it at all. It could be something totally different. Hopefully something less expensive. Hopefully. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> hey, guys, thank you very much. Thank you, yes, ma'am. ma'am. Bye-bye. Bye. We're going to take a quick little break. Caesar, hold on. You'll be straight up after this break. That's the best. I get your kicks on Route 66. It winds from Chicago. Hello, you must be Glenda de Goodrich. Uh, Relax on the couch and tell me what's stressing you out. Do you know how stressful it is to be good all the time? I don't want to be wicked, but sometimes I just like to not say thank you or pinch a bratty kid or stick my finger in a chocolate. And if I don't like the flavor, put it back in the box. Oh, that would be divine. Unfortunately, Glenda, I can't assist you with your goodness issues, uh, but for peace of mind, schedule an annual general inspection with 
Agco Automotive. They'll check out your vehicle, perform needed maintenance, and let you know about future repairs. Sad ways, there are no surprises. Well, you definitely want your automotive repair shop to be good and not wicked. A young girl once told me there's no place like home. And I've got to go. Just bill me. I'll be somewhere over the rainbow. Toodaloo! That little witch might not be so good after all. Get your own peace of mind and schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. You just joined us at the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alderson, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go ahead and give us a call? And we've got Caesar's been patiently holding. Good morning, Caesar. Good morning. Yes, Good sir. Good morning. Well, let me give you a little breakdown. I own a gymnastics club. I took a trailer and loaded it with foam, took it from Houston to Baton Rouge. Okay. My truck's got about 100,000 miles on it. Mm-hmm. So I had some trouble bringing that thing back. I could maybe only do 50 miles an hour. Okay. <laughs> the wind caught it. And then now I'm smelling, it smells like oil. So I'm, I'm thinking, well, maybe it's the head gasket. That Probably I, not. Probably not. Oh. How's okay. the how's the transmission shifting? <laughs> it's doing fine. Transmission's fine. Is it? Yeah. Uh, it's, it sounds like the transmission got hot. Yeah, balled the fluid it out. Balled the fluid out of the vent, and it got yeah. all over everything. Yeah, look underneath the vehicle and see if you see a lot of oil underneath the truck. Okay. Particularly around the exhaust. That little 4L60 will definitely get hot, and when it does, it's going to aerate the fluid, and it's going to ball out of a little vent tube right in the top and blow back on the exhaust make quite a bit of smell. Those engines, these are hardly ever blow head gaskets just almost never now they did have some trouble with the heads cracking on them because they had defective castings but that's gonna be a coolant loss issue and not a all loss issue or overrunning running problem or anything but that would be one thing now when you say it wouldn't go over 50 what was it doing what symptom were you having well it it would jump up like it's going to a higher gear and then it would just drop down in gear yeah it's hunting gears yeah that's going to be some kind of a transmission issue you you might look see if you if you bring it in we can run the codes on it you could probably have a code p1870 in there what 1870 means is that transmission has reached maximum adaptive pressure what it does when you're hauling a lot of weight with a truck like that and it starts to slip because it can't hold a handle of weight the Uh computer is going to recognize that and it's going to raise the pressure using what they call electronic pressure control solenoid and when it does that it's going to get to a certain point it just can't raise it anymore then it's going to set that code which may not turn check engine light on but it should be in memory now when you come to a stop it's usually going to bang and really shift hard that's one giveaway for it check the color and the odor of your transmission fluid as well okay Uh, pull the dipstick out if that fluid is dark dark brown or black and smells like burnt popcorn, you probably got problems. If not, at very least, what I would recommend, Caesar, bring it to someone who knows what they're doing. The absolute last thing you want is a flush. You do not want to flush it. You want to drop the pan and do a proper service on the transmission. Okay. That may fix the entire problem. And if Uh not, if I drop the pan and it's full of metal, then you know you got a much bigger problem. But that's the way to go with it because a proper service, you can drop the pan, you can look inside, you see three snap rings laying in there, well, and it's a matter of time. Well, you can always take the filter apart, too. Once you take it out, you can break it apart, open the filter up, and look and see what's inside. That's right. It catches 95, 99% of all the trash that goes through the transmission. Should be inside that filter. Should be inside that filter. So that'll give us a real good clue as to what's going on. And see, when that 
transmission gets hot like that, it's going to deplete the fluid real fast. So at very least, the fluid needs to be changed anyway. So you're not wasting anything. But, yeah, okay. I'll get it in. Let's do a good service on it and just All see right. what's going on. Good. Okay. Good. Thank you, sir. Thank right. you, man. Bye-bye. If you want to be part of the automotive, I would certainly love to have you. That's one of those things. I remember my brother-in-law bought a Ford F-150. Yeah. And he had a, about a 26-foot travel trailer. It pulled in a little while. Well, I, I said, my oh, brother-in-law's not, not going to pull it. It's not going to do Oh, yeah, yeah, it'll pull it. Salesman said it'll pull 8,000 pounds. Well, I'm telling you, it won't pull it. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah, it, it'll do it. Okay. All right. <laughs> so he calls me. He's up in Chattanooga. He says, brother I'm getting this stuff all over my back glass on my yeah. truck. Well, that would be the fluid balling out of transmission because it's overheating, you know, because it won't pull it like I told you. Yeah. Well, sure enough, about two weeks later, transmission goes south and... We ended up having to rebuild the thing. and Yeah, I remember that truck. Oh, yeah. He finally traded up to a big He went, went and got him up 350. Now he's yeah. got something he can pull something with. But, there you go. Uh, yeah, trucks, I know they tell you they will pull 7, 8, 9, 10, invent yeah. a number. And they will. Yeah, they'll pull it. They just tear the truck all up doing uh, that's it. That's right. And when they make a truck that doesn't burn up the transmission just driving down the road, pulling yeah. nothing. Then they can tell me about how much weight it can pull. Because, uh, you know, <laughs> well, we rebuild those things constantly, probably one or two a week. I remember. When they're not pulling anything at all. I remember a time they didn't make it off the transport truck. Well, that's right. That yeah. little 4L60 is a very, very light-duty transmission at best. And folks will say, well, I've got a towing package. Well, all that is a cooler and extra leaf spring in the back. That's right. really nothing that spectacular, major. I can tell you. But – those transmissions are real, real, real weak. They're not going to pull a whole lot of weight. They will physically pull not, it. Not very long. But they're not going to do it very consistently. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like I could, t- I could probably take a 357 round in the chest. I think I can do it a whole lot of times. Pretty <laughs> 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 soon the uh, ramifications are going to really start getting to me. That's it. But very much the same thing. Now, it's important on those, any time you ever overheat a transmission, you need to change the fluid in it immediately. Right. Because heat is what destroys transmission fluid. It breaks it down. One of the signs is that it will normally turn dark. Not always, but a lot of times it will turn dark. It will either turn sort of a dark brown or worse. If it turns black, it's pretty much too little too late at that point. Correct. If that fluid is black and smells kind of like burnt popcorn, yeah, eh. you, you <laughs> might want to figure a, a Yeah, just start counting your money. Yeah, counting your money. Call your brother-in-law, whoever's got money <laughs> in your family. <laughs> See if you can arrange a little loan there, you know. Yeah. Because uh, you're going you're gonna to probably need it pretty soon. Once they get burned, you know, what they physically burn and the fluid turns black and they get that odor to them, it's probably not going to come back. Right, because all the, the clutches have started slipping and the materials have started coming apart. Right. That's that's a lot of what turns the fluid dark and well, I was answering a question earlier this week, and the guy was saying that when he cranks his car up, it'll drive a little ways, two, three miles, and it'll start making a whining noise, and it quits moving. Mm-hmm. Then he turns it off, it'll drive another two, three miles, and it starts making a whining noise, and it quits moving. I said, well, the filter's plugging up. What do you mean? I said, well, the clutch material's all in the pan. It's sucking up into the filter. It's restricting the filter. When it restricts the filter, you lose all your pressure, so it quits moving. Right. When you turn it off, the fluid runs back out of the filter, kind of washes out a little bit temporarily, so it'll move a little bit further. The whining is the pump trying to pull, pull fluid, fluid through that restricted filter. Oh, well, I just need to change the filter. No, no, no. <laughs> you don't understand. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. kind of a symptom of the problem. That's not going to fix it at this point. You need to change the filter a year ago. <laughs> yeah, you're going to be in the rebuild. That's right. So. We have to take another quick little break. Mitch, hang on. You'll be straight up after the break.
So lie back on the couch, Ms. Bo Peep, and tell me what's got you stressed. Ugh, my sheep keep getting lost. I mean, they're in the meadow one minute, and I look down at a text, and then I don't know where to find them. And they keep doing it. Let me level with you, Doc. Sheep are not the smartest animals. <laughs> but you, Denise, you're the exception. Look, Doc, you ever try to have a conversation with a sheep? It's a little one-sided. They just look at you with this blank look on their faces. That and the whole getting lost thing has me at my wit's end. I can't really help you with losing sheep, but I can tell you how to get a little peace of mind. Do like me and take your car into Agco Automotive once a year for a general inspection. They check everything out and perform maintenance on what you need to keep your car running right, and it saves money in the long run. Ooh, but the money I save, I can buy some shock collars to keep those little halfwits in one place. <laughs> Denise, you know I wouldn't do that to you. Get your own peace of mind and schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco. It's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. Here's George. This is the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alvarez, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we're going to answer any questions you might put to us. Why don't you go ahead and give us a call to the top of the list? And we've got Mitch has been patiently holding. Good morning, Mitch. Hey, how you doing? Doing great, sir. Good morning. I heard you talking about transmission. Yes, sir. Just had a, a general question. Mm-hmm. I got a Dodge Dakota, six cylinder, mm-hmm. regular transmission, nothing in there. Two questions. One, what's the maximum you would pull with that kind of transmission? And two, how would you determine in by, when you're looking at, at a vehicle mm-hmm. to pull something? What questions do you ask to, to okay. find the right transmission? Good pull? questions, Mitch. First off, I would not be pulling more than about 3,000 pounds with that truck. That's about all you're going to be able to pull safely. As a general rule, whatever the salesman rates the vehicle at, take about 65% of that, and that's what you can safely pull. Okay. Most vehicles are about 30 35% overrated as far as longevity. Now, will they pull it? Absolutely. Will they pull it for very long and hold up without major repairs? Absolutely not. I've got an article on my website on this very topic, selecting a vehicle for towing. And it goes into this in detail. And when you are going to buy a vehicle, you need to consider what you're going to tow with it because that's going to determine which vehicle that you need to get. And paying a little bit more up front for the right vehicle is going to be so much cheaper than getting the wrong vehicle and trying to make it work that it's just not even funny. And when you calculate your tow weight, Mitch, you got to remember, too, it's not just the dry weight of the trailer. It's the trailer plus all the stuff you're going to put in it plus any weight, any water, anything you're going to carry in there, any sewer, any of that kind of weight. you got to add all the factors in there, and then your total weight is what you need to go with. Okay. I would generally try to be at least 30% under the rated capacity. Okay, that brings up the question I didn't even think of. Mm -hmm. Let's say you're pulling something. Mm -hmm. How do you calculate the weight? Trailers are always going to be, have a weight listed with them. It's going to be a, pl- a plate on there somewhere which will give you the gross vehicle weight. Every vehicle that rolls on the road has got to have a gross vehicle weight tag on it somewhere. On the vehicle. Yeah, somewhere now, on, on there. On the trailer, it should be on the tongue. I think it's Maybe so. carved into the tongue of the trailer usually mm-hmm. about the, the weight of the, the component. But right. Is that on all trailers? Like yes, pulling sir. a horse trailer? Yes, sir. I think, I think so. Everything licensed to run down the road should have the gross vehicle weight on it right. because that's a safety concern. Now, the rest of the stuff, as far as contents, you're just going to have to estimate that. Basically, liquids figure about 10 pounds per gallon is a rough figure. That's going to put you pretty close. So if you're hauling 10 gallons of water around, and that's not exact, but that's close enough for our purposes, 
if you got a handful of canned goods and whatever, I mean, you can kind of assign a weight to it. So just think about all the stuff you're going to put in there and allow something for that because the net weight of that trailer is going to be much heavier than just the dry trailer weight. The only thing I pull is a lawnmower. Yeah. So, well, it'll uh, pull that. That's, yeah. that's probably, that's probably 12, that. 1,500 pounds. And I wanted to call in with, with question because I have pulled travel trailers, and I never even thought about it, but yeah. you know, that's why I wanted to kind of get the word out, what exactly you have to look at. Well, so, sure, uh, and we see driving down the interstate all the time. I'll see some guy pulling a 28-foot travel trailer with a little 1,500 Chevy pickup truck. And I just shake my head. In fact, my wife's tired of hearing it. I'm like, well, he ain't far from the shop. And we get cars in all the time or trucks in all the time, transmissions just in pieces. And what the owners normally tell me, this just seems to be the logic, well, I don't pull it that often. And overloaded is overloaded. It doesn't matter how often. Pull it one time, you're going to damage it. It just, just can't pull that. It's not designed to haul that kind of weight. So very, very good question, but something that everybody needs to consider. I've got an article on the website on that very Exact topic, selecting a vehicle for towing. Okay, we're good. Now, I know, I don't know if it's still true today, mm-hmm. but in the old days, I'm just pulling, uh, mm-hmm. pulling this out of the air. Yes, sir. I think, wasn't it Chrysler that was known to have one of the best transmissions? Oh, absolutely, and, and yeah. Kind of- that old 727 Torque Flight was a great transmission. And trucks, Mitch, 20 years ago, were so overrated by today's standards that it wasn't even funny. What they used to call a half-ton truck would probably be called almost a one-ton today. If you looked at the size of the ring gear on the rear end, the size of the brakes that were on it, the size of the transmission, because trucks were built for people who use them to work. And there was contractors, farmers bought trucks, and that's what they built them for. But who buys trucks today? Everybody. Trucks that get bought today are never going to pull anything. Some guy's going to go back and forth to work in. He just wants a truck because it's cool. Or some lady buys an SUV because she likes sitting up high or whatever, she's not ever going to use it. And the car makers realize that. So what they do, they build a half-ton truck to pull a half-ton, which is 1,000 pounds. (laughs) So they're not over-designed like they used to be. I don't know if that was right, wrong, or indifferent, but that's just the way it was, and we kind of got used to it. But you figure 1,000 pounds, if you throw 10 sacks of ready-mixed concrete in the back of your truck, and two big guys in there, you're over the capacity of that truck. And nobody would think twice of doing that. And I've, I've yeah. seen them loaded down with pallets of grass. Oh, yeah. And the, the axles and bumpers are dragging the ground. Dirt and yeah. sand and everything else under the sun they can put in there. Yeah. Now, the motor is never the weak link. It will pull whatever you put in there. But you're going to gall up the rear gears and, and the rear end. You're going to burn up the brakes up. trying to stop it. You're going to tear the transmission up. It's not going to fail that day, but it's going to fail down the road because it's been overloaded. Wow. It did make it like like the old days. <laughs> That's a fact. Not in a long, long time. Okay. Well, I just wanted to kind of bring up a little well, bit good. different aspect to it. Yeah, and, you uh, did. It's good, uh, good question. Okay. Okay, Enjoy. Mitch. Thank you, sir. All right. Bye-bye. Right, if you want to be part of the automotive hour, we'd love to have you. That's one of those things. I wrote that article, you know, I guess, four or five months ago, right. and I don't know. It's not one of the most popular articles on the site, but it is one that a lot of folks need to read if oh, they course. ever plan on towing anything. Of course. Because people will pop stuff behind their vehicle, and the Dodge trucks now seem to have a problem with second gear. They'll break the second gear band pretty readily uh-huh. of course the chevrolet's gm products break the reaction shell and the forge tear up the right. side, outside of the housing and, <laughs> and, you know, like like you were saying the other, a while ago you tow something with a vehicle it doesn't show up that day <laughs> you know 
few months down the road, the transmission goes out. Right. Well, it never gets contributed back to the right. the overloading towing right. that was done with it before. Right. You know, it, it just it galled something up. A little roller bearing got squeezed out of position. It didn't fail that day. It failed a month later, and then it took three months to transmission to fail after the bearing went out. Right. But it, it that's never when it gets occurred. contributed back to right. To it what all was it done all occurred it. when it was overloaded. Sure. And that's just kind of sort of the way it all works. Let's see. We go back to our phone lines with D. Good morning, D. Hey, man, I have a 97 Ford, and y'all talking about pulling things. Yes, sir. The rubber on the bottom of the frame, mm-hmm. ain't that supposed to let you know if you over-limit when it touches your axle? Well, those no. Are bounce, <laughs> those are bounce stops. Yeah, that's just a bounce stop. That's to keep the two metal components from slamming together right. when you when you go right. when you bounce it. See, you could put some, pull a trailer behind there with a D9 on the back of it, and those aren't going to touch because the weight's on the trailer, but you still overloaded the truck. Because you're pulling way over its capacity. Because I always overload my truck. Yeah. And, you know, I, yeah. I do it right before it touches that rubber. And I, yeah. I've got 320,000 yeah. miles. And, you know, D, every yep. time, no matter what you say, somebody can say, well, I did this, that, that. And that's good. That's great. You got you're lucky. One. You got a good one. But the vast majority of people do not. Right. You right. know, my stepdad lived to be 86 years old, smoked three packs of cigarettes a day every day of his life. But you know what? Most people don't. You know, I had electrolysis problems with that truck. Yeah, yep. real common on Fords. And the only thing, only thing it did, I had to ground my uh, radiator. After mm. I ground my radiator, everything. I mm. had a hole in my head, big as my thumb. <laughs> it wouldn't be for J.B. Well, my truck would be <laughs> Yep, I tell you what, electrolysis is a pretty common problem on Fords. Sometimes grounding or something like that will help. Yeah, sometimes, sometimes it, it makes it worse. Sometimes it can make it worse because it provides a ground source. Right, in at that a, spot. At a certain point, and it'll start eating that component up. <laughs> That's exactly right. Brett's been patiently holding. Good morning, Brett. Good morning. How are you doing this morning? Doing great, sir. Good morning. Hey, I bought a 2000 Mazda S10 Extreme. Uh huh. And it didn't come with the key fob, and I'm guessing that's why I'm having an issue with the security system on it. Okay. Where is that kind of in it right where you got to wait 10 minutes for it to crank? When you put the key in it? Well, it could be. That, that is one symptom of it. If, it. if it loses its security code or something, it will kind of try to relearn that. That is one thing that can definitely do that. What, what is it actually doing? It's actually like if the battery's all hot, everything's hot, you hear the fuel pump, everything kick on, you hit the key, and nothing. No fire to the starter. Usually it's not a security. Yeah, security normally system it'll will start, usually let you start and die. It'll crank and then shut down. Right. You know, it will allow it to start, and then when the PCM sees it's the wrong key in there, then it'll shut it down. Right. But it'll it, crank it will, and die, it will crank, crank and die. What you have is a, a no-crank situation. More likely that's going to be something in the start and cranking type system. Right. Now, if it's an aftermarket alarm, some of those do disable the starter, and that is a possibility. So you'd have yeah. to see if you're dealing with a factory alarm or an aftermarket alarm. I got both on it. It's got the original security thing where the light's blinking on the yeah, dash. Yeah, uh-huh. And got no fob for that to turn the alarm off. That alarm on. I've got to put an aftermarket. Okay. And I'm thinking about completely just taking after. aftermarket. That would be your best bet. Garbage. Right. Right. Disable that aftermarket alarm system and then go in and just repair the factory system, which is generally not that big a deal to repair them. And that way the you've got the security. Yeah, key fives are readily available. You just have to put it on and reprogram it. But that's the way I would go. A lot of those aftermarket systems, when they start malfunctioning, they give you way more trouble than they were, in my opinion. I just We, we take a lot of them out for people. Yeah, and I, I heard it's as simple as going beneath the dash and undoing it. And- Basically, unplug the brains on it. Normally, not quite that simple, Brett, because if it's too simple, then it would be ineffective. In other words, if a thief could reach out there and unplug the brains and it would work, then obviously it would be no good to anyone. 
Yeah, they got to make them where they're difficult. Normally, if you unplug the box, it defaults it won't start at all. So you're going to have to go in and remove the wiring and reconnect because generally when they're installed, they cut some wires. Those wires now travel through that little module, and the module is required to make the connection on those wires. So if you disarm okay. the module, it just doesn't make. It's just like the wires okay. are all cut now. So you're going to so have to go back and put, put the wires back together. Right. Depends right. on how that particular one is set up. I just don't know. There's millions of different designs on them. But you do take those out then at your at the shop? Yeah, there? sir. We could take it out for you. Just Some of them are fairly simple. Some of them are more complex. Depends on how good a system it was. The better systems are generally more complex. Just like we said, it, they're trying to keep a thief from de- defeating it easily. So if they make it easy to defeat, then it's useless. So they're going to make right, it as difficult as possible, but yeah, nothing that can't be done for sure. Well, I appreciate it. All Thanks, right, man. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right, we're going to take one more quick little break, and we'll be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. Ah, yes, Mr. Bigfoot. Huh? Make yourself comfortable on the couch and tell me what has stressed you out. Uh, I'm just a secluded forest dweller, and I like it like that. But every now and then, I get these people hunting me down. There's a TV show, jerky commercials, and now another movie. Then I worry about the hype. If they do find me, will my feet be big enough? Well, Mr. Foot, I can't really do much about these people, but I can tell you how to create some peace of mind in your life. Do like me and take your car to Agco once a year for a general inspection. They provide me an honest opinion on the maintenance and repairs I need now and in the future. They can even catch small issues that can lead to big, expensive problems down the road. An Agco general inspection, huh? Oh, one more thing, Doc. Could you tell me where I can find this toilet paper? I've heard wonderful things about it. Here's Agco's number. And the name of another store that may ship some TP straight to your cave. Thanks, Doc. Get your own peace of mind and schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Is joining us. I'm Lewis Alvesan, your host, president of Agco Automotive. We've got Mr. Brian Terry, our lead tech, here with me. Between the two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Go ahead and give us a call. Still got a lot of time left. Be glad to get you an answer to your questions. Just in case you don't get a chance, call in. Something occurred to you during the week. That's right. Or maybe even at 11.02 when the That's show right. goes <laughs> off the air, you can always visit the website and get your questions answered there. Right. The address is www.agcoauto.com. That's A G C O. A-U-T-O dot com. Right. Easy way to remember that's Altazan's Garage Company. There's a contact bar on every page. You can send Lewis an email any time of the day or night, as long as you use the form from the site when you send it. Should get it back within 24 hours. There's also several databases you can search on the site. There's the vehicle questions, which is a short to the point answer to a particular right. question. Just hit 1,000 I was just fixing to say we're well over 980 <laughs> yeah, now. Just right at 1,000 as of this morning. Wow. There's also the... Detail topic, which is a more in-depth article about a certain right. topic. Right. Put one on there this morning on vehicles that lean to one side or the other. Uh-huh. And we see that quite a bit. Folks come in, well, my car's leaning. It's down on the right. It's down on the left. And why is that? Well, it tells you how to check that and some things to look for, some things you can check yourself. And as you well know, there are several different things. Some vehicles have torsion bars on them, and that's just as simple as an adjustment. Other vehicles, vehicles have springs on them, sometimes indication of a frame problem on the vehicle. So this article goes in depth on how to check that, what happens if you don't do anything about it, the kind of problems that it can cause you, so on right. and so forth. Good article on there all about leaning vehicles. Tons of other articles on there as well. Just 
pop on there, see what you think. I think you'll find something of oh, interest for sure. Definitely get tired of reading. <laughs> you get tired of reading before you get done with things to read. Of course, tonight, some point late tonight, we're going to be changing that site over so they may be offline for a few minutes while they do that. We're going to a new content management system that's okay. more updated, has more features, some of the new technologies and stuff, more security built into it. So we set up a mock site, and I've been testing that one for about the last month or so. seems to be working fine. So okay. that will go online tonight. Generally, Saturdays and Sundays are our lower traffic days, so we said we'll do it late Saturday night, see what happens with it. Hopefully, no snafus there. <laughs> <laughs> Sunday morning, you ought to be up and running. Yeah, hopefully. Hopefully, yeah. Well, you know how that goes. That's right. Pop on air, see what you think. It's www.agcoauto.com, A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. Of course, go in there and vote for your favorite automotive item. Automotive item. That's right. All right. You can go and see a picture of each of the contestants, and there's a little microphone icon. If you click that, you can hear the entire long version of the song right they only get a clip on the you commercial get a little clip on the commercial but those are actual songs a minute and a half long so you can click on there and hear the entire song really kind of cool yeah vote for your favorite one and i think delta still i think old delta ahead. is still ahead at least it was as, as of yesterday mc powertrain is coming up pretty strong yeah and they're all getting quite a few votes but pop on there add your vote to the list and See what you think. It's www.agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. We're going back to the phone lines with Bill. Good morning, Bill. Hey, good morning to you. I, yes, I want to compliment you guys the last year and a half, whoever's been doing the old commercials. It's absolutely <laughs> hilarious. Isn't that guy good? Them, I mean, I literally laugh in my car. I was <laughs> along the one that's talking about this guy was going to Bass Trip. He needed to get a tune-up on his car, but he really had to instead of going to the beach, he was going to see his That's right. Yep. For, her <laughs> for her surgery. Yeah, <laughs> right. yeah, yeah. This is very, very good. I'm calling. Uh, the question I have is, uh, I have a 04 Sonata, uh-huh. and when I uh, I turn left or right, I hear a clicking noise. Okay. It sounds like it's coming like either from the wheels or somewhere like that. It's kind of a deep, like a clack, 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 clack. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Almost always, Bill, that's going to be a CV joint, an outer CV joint clicking. And if you look under the car, what you're going to notice is two big rubber boots out by the wheel, and that's the cover on the CV joint. You're probably going to see at least one or both of them. The rubber's going to be torn. And there's going to be grease slung everywhere. Right, grease all around. What happens when that boot bursts, because it's spinning, it slings the grease out, and then the rain and the grit and the grime gets in, eats the joint up, and then they start that clack, 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 clack when you turn. That's kind of the warning that you're going to get. Eventually, it's going to break. When it breaks, the car is going to quit moving. It's going to tear those stuff up. So it's not an emergency, Bill. I've heard them click for quite a while before they break, but they're pretty robust. But it's something that needs to be attended to. And they generally make those joints in rebuilt, and the rebuilt ones seem to be pretty good. We've been using them for several years, really haven't had a lot of trouble with them. Not sure on a Hyundai if it's available or not, but most companies do sell a rebuilt joint at a fairly reasonable price. Okay. Well, I thank you, and I appreciate it. All right, sir. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. All right, part of the automotive hour, we would love to have you. Why don't you go ahead and give us a call? We've got a few minutes left. We'll try to get you squeezed in. And we've got Michael on the line. Good morning, Michael. Hey, how you doing? Doing great, sir. Listen, I've got a, a 97 Buick Sabre. Mm-hmm. It's got a shaking in the front end when I put my brakes on. Yes, sir. Goes away when you get off the brake? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. That's going to be warped rotors on the front of the car, Michael. Now, what you got to remember is that a warped rotor is always a symptom of another problem. In other words, something caused the rotor to warp. And if you go in and you turn those rotors or you go in and you replace those rotors, most likely what's going to happen is six months down the road, you're going to be calling me again saying, hey, i got a shake in my car again. 
because it's going to come right back again. It's not the tie rods or tie-ins or anything like no, that. No, sir. No, those, sir. Not even only does it when it breaks. Now, right. The tie now, those rod cars is, are notorious for yeah. wearing the tie rods out, but that's not going to be the symptom you get. Right. It could have bad tie rods, too, and that will make it worse because if the tie rod's loose, then there's nothing to stop it when it starts shaking, so it will make it worse. But the shaking on braking is always going to be a brake rotor. Right. And, that, and like Lewis was saying, that's going to be a symptom. Right. If you'll jack the vehicle up, pull all the wheels off, and look at the back brakes, they're probably going to look brand new. Yeah, could be. And the reason well, I just had I just had new pads put all the way right. around. Okay. Right. And so they probably they put aftermarket brake pads. Rotors. Well, they probably put aftermarket brake right. pads on there. You may not have needed it before that, but the aftermarket pads are one of the leading causes of rotor warpage. They will ro- warp the rotors. No. If you oh. if you go on my website and type in. The word shutter. It's going to give you an article in depth, tell you everything you want to know about it. Oh, okay. All righty. Okay, thank you. Uh-huh, yes, bye bye. All right, if you want to be part of the automotive hour, we'd love to have you. That's one of the leading causes of brake shutter, I guess, is the aftermarket pads. Yep. One of the main your things we service. see. That the second biggest thing, the rear brakes not working properly, right? Will cause the front to overheat because they're trying the to do all the stopping. All the stopping. Mm-hmm. Of course, driving through any kind of high water and. A lot of times, folks don't consider water five or six inches deep as high water. It's high enough to cause a problem with the well, brakes. Yeah, because those rotors are cast iron, and they're very, very hot. I mean, they are three to 400 degrees in stop-and-go traffic. Correct. 400 degrees is almost dull red. I mean, those rotors are, are steaming hot. And you go through six-inch deep water, and that cold water quenches a piece of red-hot cast iron. It's going to warp it's it. It's going to warp it. Yeah. And that's one of those things that you really can't hardly prevent. If you do that, you're going to almost end up with them regardless of what else you do. Correct. I always advise folks, if you just absolutely have to go through the high water, what you can try is keep your foot lightly on the brakes, not bear down on them, but lightly on the brakes while you're accelerating through the water, and that will at least keep the heat up in them so they don't quench down too fast. Correct. Sometimes it helps, not Sometimes always. Right. Obviously, you take a piece of 400-degree cast iron and throw it in cold water. <laughs> yeah. And rotors today are much, much, much smaller and lighter than they were many years ago. So you just compound the problem that much That's more. That's right. They're, they're almost at discard thickness when they're brand new. In other words, they may be 15 thousandths above discard on a brand new rotor. So right. the option of turning them when they're warped is just out. You're absolutely wasting your time there. They warped at full thickness. You turn them, you're making them thinner, and now the they're going to warp gonna, worse. Right. So replacing the rotor is going to be the fix. However, if you don't diagnose the reason that it happened. It's more than likely going to come back. Oh, it's coming back. <laughs> how, how many times have we seen that? All, right. All the time. Hey, I want to tell everybody how much I appreciate them listening this morning and every Saturday morning on Automotive Hour. I'd like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and all during the week. That's right. Listen 24 hours a day, can't you? Yeah, you sure can. <laughs> Just go ahead and download that list anytime you want. And keep those emails coming. We really enjoy it. Listen yep. to you, hearing from you. We do. And preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.